Um, a lot of comments you hear are along the lines of, well, if they came in legally, it would be fine. Uh, but the fact that they're illegal is the problem. Well, that's a very um, uh, ignorant way of looking at it because these people had no choice. It was flee or be murdered. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have author Dr. Cynthia Roman. Her new novel is titled Desperate Trek, One Family's Journey from Honduras to Texas. The novel centers on the Hernandez family and their harrowing journey to the United States. From the dangerous cartels to the uncertainty of ICE, Cynthia brings the struggle of the immigrants into full focus for her readers. So welcome to the podcast, Cynthia. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm glad. I'm delighted to have you. Um, and you and I actually worked together to, to bring Desperate Trek to life. Yes, we did. And one of the things I think, you know, as I was thinking about this podcast today, I realized, like, I had never asked you when we were working on this project, like, what was your inspiration for Desperate Trek? Um, it really was a work of passion for me. Um, I have been following the immigration crisis at the southern border for many years, really, and it has been going on for many years, but obviously we have reached crisis level in the last few years. <clears throat> and, uh, and I just became so tired of attitudes, um, that I saw, or maybe perhaps a better way to put it is lack of attitude, people burying their heads in the sand, not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to respond. Um, and I just felt like, you know what, um, instead of uh, making people angry at me by ranting and raving, maybe the better way to go is to write a book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I think one of the things that happens is, you know, the immigration struggle tends to be something that's over there. I mean, we are in the mid-Atlantic region and the southern border is quite a distance away. So yes. it tends to be something that's happening over there and it's not my problem. But I think one of the things you do in the book is you really bring it, you really bring those characters to life in a very real way that we can't help but care about what's happening to them. And sometimes I feel like that's that's the whole point is empathy is, is, is a really big, big part of that. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because my intention was not to just rehash what you can read in the newspaper. Boy, I guess I show, I'm showing my age now by talking about newspapers, <laughs> aren't I? Uh, but my intention was to really take it to the level of the individual and the individual family um, and to try to uh, attempt a well-researched uh, description of what uh, a migrant family goes through in trying to reach the border. I think a lot of times when you're trying to tell a, a factual story, um, readers aren't so much unfamiliar with the facts as lacking a reason to care about them. Yes. And I think that when you do something like this, where you make it something like a personal story, like characters that people can um, connect with because every historical figure, every human being on planet earth is going to be somehow indictable, um, because of their past or because of, of what they do in their spare time or because of some sort of indiscretion when they were a younger person. Yes. But 
characters that are fully formed, even if they're flawed, they're easier to connect with for readers, I think. And so I think this is a great way to bring it out without being preachy about it or without saying these are the facts that you don't know. Because I think that, I, as you were saying, the head in the sand thing is it's like not that we don't know the facts. It's just that we don't want to think about them very much. Yes. Well, it's certainly not pleasant. Uh, someone said to me who read the book that uh, it was a very depressing book. And I said, yes, well, that was one of the reasons why I wrote it, um, was to help people to feel compassion, to feel empathy for other human beings who are going through some pretty traumatic and horrendous experiences through no fault of their own. It kind of reminds me of a story that I, I read on the news one time where there was, um, it was about the immigration component where, um, there was a, a a man who had crossed into the country illegally, but he had become very important in his small town America neighborhood, and he was going to be deported. And yes. all of the people in town who were pro, like, build that wall, when it came time to deport their friend, they were like, oh, wait, but not him. But like, not him. He's yeah. fine. I mean, I know he's here illegally, but he's fine. It's the other people, <laughs> you know? And, you know, it's. I think that's the component is if we can either meet people or if we can, you know, connect with a character in a book, then yes. it makes it harder to just draw these sort of like hard and hard and fast rules about things. Yeah. And, and that's why I was very careful about trying to draw a typical migrant family. So we have Maria and it's a young couple with a young child. We have Maria and her husband, Jorge, and their five-year-old daughter, Sophia, and they're from um, Honduras. Uh, and so the trek really takes them from Honduras to Guatemala to Mexico. Um, and I tried to paint it based on, paint the experiences of their family based on, gosh, I must have read hundreds of articles and books about, uh, what the migrants are experiencing, whether they're in large caravans, whether they're by themselves, whether they're using some sort of transportation or whether they're walking. I tried to base it on reality as well as what a typical family, young family would base, would experience. It's interesting as you're talking about this, I don't know why it took me so long to make the connection, but it's, it's got like this grapes of wrath kind of. <laughs> interesting. Right. Impression like this is what is really happening. I know that yes. you're hearing all, you're hearing all this stuff on the news about the Okies, but this is what it's like <laughs> to be an Okie. Yeah. And that was, <clears throat> that was one of those books that really kind of did its bit to capture, you know, the, the horror of, you know, the immigration problem in California, except they, they still hated immigrants then, but they just hated American immigrants instead of, uh, instead of Spanish immigrants. Gosh, talking about the grapes of wrath in the same sentence that you're talking about Desperate Trek really puts me <laughs> under some pressure here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was that same, I mean, what's compelling about that book is that these, is the, this, not this could happen, this is happening. Yes, like, it is. You don't know, like Tom Jode is made up, but there are millions of him. Yes. And... He is just, you know, trying to do his best in a world that hates him because of his economic circumstances and because of the way he makes his living, which is just digging in the dirt and um, making things grow, you know, yes. and things don't grow anymore. And now he's useless. And this is very thing like they uh, the people people 
who are doing who are immigrating to to the U.S. from from the southern parts of the world. There's the same problem there. There's either a war or there's an inability to feed your family, and you're just going someplace where that's possible. Yes, and that's what makes it a compelling story. Like these could be anybody. You've decided to name them this, but you could replace the names. There are people who could read this and say this is very much like what my personal experience was. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I, I know a woman who uh, is from Guatemala who's an immigrant, and um, she read the book, and she said, yes, this is very much like what it was like. She had been through <clears throat> her own migratory experience, and she said, yes, it was like that. And so that was the best feedback I could have gotten from anyone. Well, that means that, you know, the because one of the questions I was going to ask you is about the research that you did for that mm-hmm. Um but it does sound like having a person for whom this experience is very familiar say, yes, this was, this is exactly what it's like, or this is, this rings very true to me. You know, obviously that being like, okay, I did my homework. Yes. But could you tell us a little bit about, I, mean, I knew you mentioned reading things, but could mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about some of the, the research and how long that took and how that informed the characters for you? Well, um, people always are amazed when I tell them it took less than a year to write this book because people are accustomed to books taking four, five, six years. Um, but this became um, pretty much um, my full-time job for that period of time uh, because I was so passionate about it. I set a goal for myself, and it wasn't hard to write. The book was really, really wrote itself. Um, as far as the research goes, um, I having an academic background helps me a lot. Uh, I'm accustomed to doing research. I'm accustomed to checking the facts. I'm accustomed to going to sources as primary as possible. Um, I'm accustomed to using different kinds of sources. I've actually written three academic books prior to this. This is my first piece of fiction. Um, but so the research was not hard for me, and I used a variety of sources, a lot of um, a news media, variety of news media, um, a lot of local media from Mexico and from Texas and from California, uh, as well as a lot of national media, news magazines, uh, print media, um, a lot of interviews in magazines with people who had had migrant or immigration experiences. Um, I used a lot of government sources from IMS. Um, I used um, a lot of um, sources that came from other sources, in other words, chapters from books that may have had a different focus but had something in it related to um, Central America to give me a perspective as to what the issues are in Central and, uh, well, primarily Central America, not so much South America. You're listening to So What's Your Story on 90.7 FM WSDL. This week, we're speaking with Dr. Cynthia Roman about her book, Desperate Trek. Remember, you can listen to this podcast as well as all of our previous podcasts on SoWhatYourStory.com. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on whatever podcatcher you're most comfortable with. What are what were some of the issues that really that you said? Because there's, I, I would expect that there was probably too much to, you know, include everything. Right. So, what were the things that you felt were essential that needed to be communicated through this? Uh, Work fiction. Um, I, 
first and foremost, I wanted to dispel this notion that, um, that somehow these people have a choice. Um, a lot of comments you hear are along the lines of, well, if they came in legally, it would be fine. Uh, but the fact that they're illegal is the problem. Well, that's a very, um, uh, ignorant way of looking at it because these people had no choice. It was flee or be murdered. And when you are in a situation where you are running for your life, then, uh, whether you are legal or illegal, um, is of secondary or tertiary importance, uh, to the decision. In the case of my family, Coming from Honduras, their town, which was is very typical in Honduras right now, their town was overrun by um, gangs, uh, gangs that were influenced by the drug cartels. Um, and so the government, as is true in Honduras today, has very little influence over the gang warfare that's going on, the gang threat and danger to the population. Um, and it gets to the point where they control all the sources of revenue and, and income. And so the only choice people have in, in places like many of these towns in Honduras and Guatemala is to work for the gang and to do what they tell you to do. And in the case of my family, like so many of these families, they decided that that was not acceptable for the future of their child. Yeah, because, I mean, you think about, like, what would a mother do? What would a father do to save their child? Yes. You know, and I think that's, you know, sometimes the heart of the issue when people say, well, just just come here legally. Sure. But if you are, as you say, running for your life, if you are trying to save, you're actively trying to save the life of your child, yes. you know, it's like I need to to run and then I'll figure the things out. Right. And I feel like that's kind of as they in your book, as the Hernandez family approaches, you know, Mexico into Texas, it's not exactly like when they get to Texas, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> everything's fine now. I mean, it's they get to Texas and it's like a whole new series of fears and discomfort and concern sort of emerge. But it's it's not exactly like they get to America and like happy ending, you know. So, I, But I think that's and which is kind of the the other component to it is, you know, there's. There's there's no way for it to just work out perfectly. and No, and the politics, let's be honest, the politics uh, of the immigration crisis now um, have affected these people greatly. Um, the barriers that are put in their way to crossing the border um, are getting worse every day. A new rule, a new policy, a new regulation that they did, didn't know about. Um, and, and obviously they didn't know about it because it wasn't put in until 48 hours before they arrived. Mm. So, um, in, in the case of the Hernandez family, they were shocked, um, at the attitudes of the U.S. government toward them. They had been spending years hearing about the American dream and the opportunities for immigrants in America based on our history. Um, and so they thought that's what it would be like when they reached the border. Obviously, that was not reality. Yeah, and when you were talking about the the argument about, you know, they shouldn't break the law, uh, one of the things that it reminds me of is the notion is, you know, it's a popular thing to talk about, like, is it okay to steal 
uh, when you're starving, right? Yes. But that question isn't really about, is it okay to steal? That's a question about justice. That's not a question about law. And I think what's going on um, in your in your story and certainly in the immigration thing, you know, when people are talking about the law, they're not talking about justice. And it's concerning just as a citizen to see how often the law and justice have been separated from one another and how easily they come apart from each other. Yes. Um, in fact, that's an excellent point for one source that I uh, went to time and time again, and that's the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church's efforts to uh, bring justice to the immigrants at the border. More than probably, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but more than probably any other nonprofit group, the Catholic Church has spent millions on um, uh, places for uh, services, to provide services for the immigrants, to provide housing, to provide health care, to provide legal assistance. Um, and the Catholic Church is committed through its various uh, humanitarian arms to uh, assist in the immigration crisis. Recently, I was contacted um, by an archbishop in uh, the New England area who's very interested in my book. So I'm hoping he'll buy 500 of them, (laughs) pass them out to his congregation. I'm not Catholic, obviously. I'm not even using the right terminology. Um, but I, I admire the Catholic Church's efforts, uh, toward compassion and empathy and service toward this very neglected population. So it's kind of continuing on with the resources. One of the resources, um, that I know that you employed with your book was the use of an editor. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of people who come through my door have these manuscripts and like, what do I do now? And I'm like, get yourself an editor because, you know, we can publish books all day, but they need to be properly edited. We need to have a, and you should have a strong editor and you should pay a strong editor and it should be a, 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 good working relationship. And I know that you had a very strong relationship with your yes. editor. So if you would just tell us a little bit about your oh, editing experience. Oh, it's an experience. interesting story. Thank you for bringing that up. My editor was uh, was and is, she's still doing work for me and on other projects, is Mary Lib Morgan. Uh, she is an old high school friend of mine from Richmond, Virginia, still lives in Richmond, Virginia. And we weren't really that uh, good of friends in high school. Uh, but somehow we connected over Facebook in the last couple of years and, uh, and have become very good friends. And she is my age, which is retirement age. And so she decided to start her own business as an editor. And, uh, so she was the editor on this book. She did a fabulous job. Um, now my background is also writing. I have a bachelor's degree in English and, um, I, I grew up in a family. My father was a newspaper editor. So uh, I have a pretty strong background in editing and writing as well. So between the two of us, it was really a team, a team effort to make sure that we addressed a lot of the issues that, and you're right, you have to have that good input to write a good book. You're listening to So What's Your Story on 90.7 FM WSDL. This week, we're speaking with Dr. Cynthia Roman about her book, Desperate 
Trek. Remember that you can find this show as well as all of our previous shows on so what's your story podcast.com. You can also subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and on wherever you listen. If you take the time to give us a good review, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much for supporting this show and for supporting Delmarva Public Radio. You said it was it was a collaboration, yes. but somebody has to have the final word. And how do you decide? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I know that uh, some people are like, my I have the final word, but my final word is the editor has the final <laughs> word, or vice versa. I I think in our case, I can only speak from my own mm. personal experience. Um, there was no hard and fast rule. We had some debates mm. over what was the best way to express something. She educated me about some grammar issues, uh, and I trusted her whenever it was in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were other times where I said, you know what, I'm losing my voice if I keep changing it in the areas that we're talking about, and I don't want to lose my voice, mm. my my perspective. So I... In our case, it went back and forth. And that sounds like a healthy sort of relationship because, you know, sometimes as a writer, we can sort of lose track of the forest because because of all the trees, right? Yes. And then, so you need that other set of eyes to be like, I know what you're trying to do, but you're not getting there. Yes. And then there are those times where you know kind of in your heart like you said i'm losing my voice you know the intention you know where you're trying to go and so i think being able to kind of toss that ball back and forth and you can say all right i will i'll I'll give in on this you know bit of grammar but we need to really focus on keeping this portion true and i I think it sounds like you had a very healthy kind of give and take and i think that's important when you're working with an editor yeah probably the hardest thing that we faced and if i were to give advice to other authors would be um to honor your deadlines um, you know, she, she would say to me, well, I'm going to proof these five chapters in the next week. And because I am such a, an, a person who's oriented towards structure and order, I'd be hounding her at the end of those, that period of time saying, well, is it done? Mm. And she said, uh, I need another day. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you have to begin to, um, uh, come to an understanding and maybe set some ground rules about how you're going to work together. And that's true for any professional or other kind of collaboration. You have to have some rules that you honor for each other. And trust, I think, and is, trust, is a big piece. And it sounds like you trust her, she trusts you, and, and you know, hammering out those kind of, kind of bits is, yes. is easy. I know that um, you, you know, you talk about being a writer that as the deadline's approaching, I so I'm sort of the flip side, you know, I'm usually <laughs> the one the editor's like, hi, you said this was coming in two days ago. Yeah, but, 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 but and but, then it's, but. you know, so, uh, I think I'm on the flip side of the coin on that. And what's, what's interesting about trying to establish a deadline is that, um, especially I, I do most of my work is not my, all of my work is freelance. And so, my week is based on getting and giving things at a certain time. Like if mm-hmm. I have Wednesday scheduled to look at your stuff or if I have Tuesday scheduled to write a thing or if I have Monday scheduled to get a thing back and I don't have it in a timely manner, then I can't live up to my end of the bargain. And also I have three other people who don't even know you yes. who's, who I can't live up to their end of the bargain right. either. It's and a that's, domino effect. Right. It, it can it can be tough, difficult to kind of juggle that. Mm-hmm. Um, the multiple relationships when you're trying to get multiple things done. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for shaming me, too. 
Just well, kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was supposed to start her book um, last Sunday. Uh oh. I plan on starting it tomorrow for sure. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were talking before before we started rolling here about the you know, the the decision or lack of decision to get uh, an agent to to represent you and to the process of putting the book out and getting word out about the book. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, I didn't, I don't know anything about that world. Um, I don't know any literary agents. I don't know how that works. All I've heard through the grapevine is that it's incredibly expensive and incredibly risky. And um, I, I just wasn't oriented in that direction. When I started writing the book, I realized that this was a book of personal passion for me, not so much. I'm not trying to become um, a member of the top 10 on the New York Times bestseller list. Although, of course, that would be wonderful. But that was not why I wrote this book. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm retired. This was a retirement project for me that was very personally important. So I think if I were 35 again and I was depending on this for my career uh, income and and goals, maybe I would have become a little bit more aggressive about maybe finding an agent and marketing it more widely. Uh, that just was not one of my chief uh, goals at this point. Something to think about, though. When people come in to, to talk with me about self-publishing their work, you know, there is the give and take, you know, I'm not going to say no, but also, you know, there's this other side, people say, well, maybe I should go get an agent, maybe I should do those things. And I always tell my authors, like, you know, walk that route, see if mm -hmm. you can get it, see if you can do those things and just know that, you know, we're always going to be here. Yeah. But I think that, you know, when you came in with this project, you know, you were very clear, like, I wrote this because this was important to me. This was I have a passion for this. And I and I want it to live today. Yes. And and that's one of the beautiful things that we can do in the self-publishing world is we can say, all right, you've got a you've got a professionally edited book. We can, you know, go through and get you all the right bits and pieces so that this can so that the Hernandez family story can live today. Yes. And and thank you for bringing up the collaboration with Saltwater Media. It's been very pleasant, very uh satisfactory. It's been helpful. Um, I mean, where else but Berlin, Maryland, can you call up somebody and or send an email and get a response within a day? And it's a very friendly response instead of <laughs> call me, call me again in two weeks. Right. Um, so, it, you know, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, thank and you. Uh, you and your collaborators in the company have been a joy to work with. Oh, thank you. Um, when you're promoting it now, um, do you have like a website and uh, any kind of social media to support your, uh, your, your efforts? Yeah, that's been a learning experience too. I set up a separate Facebook site other than my personal site and it's called Cynthia Roman's Books. And, um, and I even took advantage of some of the marketing programs that Facebook has. Mm -hmm. They're not expensive, but they can really boost your readership. So, uh, I did that and, and an intro, I'm glad you brought this up because it's an, it's been a learning experience in so many ways. One of the things that I learned is that you can determine your demographics of who will see that page. Mm. So I thought, you know, for the little bit of money they were charging, it might be fun more, more than anything else to see if I could target a Spanish speaking audience. Mm who might really be interested in this story. And so I did. I targeted um, uh, Southwest 
United States. I targeted Mexico. I targeted Guatemala and Honduras. Mm. And Facebook can do that for you. So I was able to make sure that a notice of this book went to Facebook users in those areas. Um, and I've gotten actually quite a lot of um, likes, quite mm-hmm. a number of likes on that Facebook page from people in those areas, actually far more than what sound like American names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, Stephanie, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast and talking about Desperate Trek with us. Oh, thank you. It's been, you know, like I said, this was a a personal journey for me, just writing the book, and so it's always fun to talk about it. All right, thank Thank you. you. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.